land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. Children can run free. So take my hand, walk this land with me, and walk. Welcome to Yada Yada Radio. I'm here with uh, Kirk and uh, Dee. And, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, I sent both of you an article that's gone viral in, uh, in Israel, maybe the best read article today in Israel, that uh, is a very sobering assessment of uh, Israel's uh, current situation vis-a-vis a, um, a very interesting kind of war. Um, it's not a war with governments. Um, although it has a government sponsor, but is a war of militias against Israel that um, it is very unlikely that Israel uh, will fail. Uh, I'm not suggesting that Israel uh, loses the capacity to exist as a country. I think, though, that, uh, that it is something that will cause Israel to uh, to sue for peace, and the peace will be to give up uh, Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, to give up um, uh, most everything, uh, such that the country is as Yeshaya uh, 17 describes it, as thinned at the uh, the waist and indefensible. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about what I've. I've been sharing for a while and why I think that Israel's in such uh, dire shape. Um, but before I do, what I, I'd like to share that um, with our listeners that this is inevitable. It is going to occur. Uh, Yahweh was prolific in his depiction of what was going to happen prior to his return with Hamasiak and his son, Ben Elohim, to David. That his return is on Yom Kippurim in year 6000 Yah, which will happen uh, at sundown October 2nd, 2033. So we're on the cusp 10 years from now of Yahweh's return, and he said that uh, the time of Jacob's troubles would be exceedingly difficult for Israel. There's a good and bad side to this. 
the, uh, the two positives are by us witnessing the inevitable and things materializing exactly as he foretold. For example, Yahweh spoke of a, uh, a flood of combatants, uh, non-armies, of militants coming into Israel, uh, forcing a, um, a thinning of the, of the country, to which point it was un, uh, indefensible, uh, in Yahshua 17 and 18. And that, that that is the scenario that Israel is facing. So the more that the prophecies that Yahweh, particularly through uh, Yahshua, Isaiah, provided us occur as he said they would, in the time frame he said they would, in the way he said they would, it adds additional credibility to his prophetic um, accounting and uh, more credibility to his return on the timeline he has provided. The second thing is that uh, it takes a lot to get Israelites to uh, give up on their stubbornness and their recalcitrance and um, their aversion to God. Uh, Israel was, the children of Israel were treated as slaves and the men were, and boys were murdered, the women were worked to get the slaves in, in Egypt. And it took some 400 years before they finally said, we just can't take this anymore. And they cried out to a God they didn't even know. And yet the moment that he released them, well, they began to go back to their own ways, even told him, we never want to hear your voice again. And then, of course, you have the waters of Mirabah, one of the most tragic stories in the history of God's interaction with his people. And so it takes a lot to get through the thick skulls of um, the chosen people. They have, for example, banned the use of Yahweh's name. It's a tragedy. But you will never hear uh, anyone outside of the covenant family who has come to know Yahweh through uh, Yada Yahweh even use Yahweh's name. They don't speak of the covenant anymore. They have no clue as to what the seven Moed Mikre represents. And a matter of fact, the most important of them, they no longer even celebrate. The second most important of them, they have inverted, so it's the opposite of what it, of its intent. And they have replaced it with these things with pagan holidays. And they've turned Judaism into a, a whole list of, of works-based uh, laws that just make life entirely um, counterproductive. So what God has said is that, uh, that the only way that he's going to finally get a semblance of his people, a remnant, to forego religion and liberal politics, which is a real problem in Israel now, is to put them in a position where they have no <laughs> other alternative to live. When it's either reach out to Yahweh and hope he responds or virtually certain death because the religious and political institutions in Israel are failing. So the good news are the two bits of good news. The bad news is that lots of innocent people are going to die. 
That is bad news. So let me uh, share with you what uh, what I think is Israel's problem. It, many of these things were highlighted in this uh, article. Um, but I've been talking about most of these things now for the past uh, anywhere from five to ten years or more. Mm-hmm. One of these issues is that the United States is back to doing a deal with Iran, even recognizing that the Iranians cannot be trusted. They're so desperate to have a, a win internationally and uh, uh, politically, the Biden administration will accept anything. And so uh, they have, even with, uh, with Iran enriching uranium to uh, uh, nearly 90%, even with this, the cache of papers that the Israelis stole that shows that they are making a mockery of the inspections and of uh, the agreements uh, internationally, the United States is going to do everything they can to have an agreement with them. And, of course, the United States is in an impossible position. The Iranians don't want to negotiate directly with them. And because the United States has declared war on Russia – uh, and Russia is Iran's principal ally, uh, we are really screwed. And we have pushed Russia, China, and Iran together as a superpower. This is a, a clear and present danger. This alone would be enough to be very concerned for the future of Israel. The next point is the consequence of the United States having given Iraq and Syria to Iran. That was the consequence of our invasion of Iraq. I predicted it before we even invaded Iraq that we were going to make a bad situation worse, and in the end, we would give Iraq to Iran, which is precisely what we've done. We've sacrificed 10,000 American lives, probably a million Iraqi lives, to make the region infinitely uh, less stable uh, and just as we bombed Libya uh, into the Stone Age made it worse did the same thing with Afghanistan made it worse we did the same thing in Iraq and by giving Iraq and Syria to Iran which they control both it gives Iran a land bridge directly into Israel and it eliminates Iran's only realistic military threat, which was Iraq. This is a terrible thing because they've uh, essentially uh, taken down the government in Syria, and Syria is now run by militia, the strongest of which is Hezbollah. And of course, with Hezbollah's enormous presence in Lebanon, we have yet another problem. The country is bankrupt, as is Syria. And bankrupt countries do desperate things. Uh, Hezbollah is responsible for it being bankrupt, and yet Hezbollah wants to blame everyone else. And when countries and political entities and religious entities have their back against the wall, their go-to choice is always to go to war, because people rally around their leaders at a time of war. That's what they're going to do. It's, the estimates are that Hezbollah in Lebanon has between 100,000 and 150,000 rockets. 
and that they have many uh, precision-guided drones and precision-guided long-range rockets that can land in the most populated areas in Israel. This is a serious problem because the next issue is that the Biden administration is resolutely anti-Israel. And it's more anti-Israel now that there is a conservative right-wing government and even more anti-Israel since there is a leftist protest of that government and that the protests are massive. And so it is likely that all Israel will get from the United States, who is their primary military supplier, is lip service. And this is a serious problem because what's going to happen here is very different than what Israel has encountered and they encountered previously. Before I, I address that, let's talk about some other things that have happened. One is that the U.S. dollar and American trade with the West is on the precipice of collapse because of BRIC. Uh, Russia and China now are exceedingly close, and they have courted Saudi Arabia uh, by evidence of the Saudi Arabia-Iranian uh, uh, treaties uh, and truces and, and reestablishment of diplomatic ties. Uh, they will soon with Saudi with uh, China being Saudi Arabia's largest trading partner uh, they will soon start trading in currency other than petrodollars which will cause the US currency to crash the only reason they haven't done it yet is the United States is still China's largest market so they will do so very deliberately at a time of their choosing but they're uh, maneuvering behind the scenes with Saudi Arabia recently with Iran recently with Russia recently is all directed uh, for that purpose, as well as their meetings recently with Brazil, which is part of uh, BRIC. When uh, China went to Russia and said, this is our neighbor and our very good friend, it was a screw you, America Mm -hmm. moment. Uh, When they negotiated a peace treaty with the country that's supposed to be America's principal ally in the region, uh, Saudi Arabia, it was a screw you, America moment. But the treaty between Iran and Saudi Arabia is devastating for Israel. Because the only hope that Israel has of being able to keep the Iranians from developing a nuclear weapon is for the United States to provide uh, long-range fueling, refueling aircraft and refueling tankers and to get cooperation to fly over Saudi airspace and to have Saudi uh, assistance. Saudi is not going to do that now. No chance of it. And Saudi Arabia made this agreement because when Iran used their drones to take out significant parts of Saudi's oil refining and extraction infrastructure, they recognized that uh, Saudi Arabia independently is very vulnerable to Iran, and when that happened, the Trump administration did nothing. And so they, they do not want to be attacked by Iran. Puts Israel in a very vulnerable position. So now with all of those things happening, and with uh, America uh, milking every ally to try to get them to donate 
tanks and airplanes and bullets and fuel and everything imaginable to the Ukraine so it can fight its proxy war with Russia and ripping bare U.S. military stockpiles to promulgate this war against Russia at any cost for however long it takes, no matter the death toll, uh, we're all in in a game that no one can, can win. Right. And don't know how to get out and don't even want to get out. But it, the United States is so preoccupied with this and so stretched out trying to support it that when Israel calls and says, I'm out of, of rockets for the Iron Dome, it's going to be, well, call me back in five years. You know, we'd much rather provide that kind of thing to our proxy Ukraine. in mm-hmm. Ukraine. So here's what is going to happen, and I can't tell you if it's going to happen in three weeks or in three years, but I can tell you within three years, it will happen. So the only question is, does it happen in three weeks or does it happen in three years? Because what I'm sharing with you now is absolutely, unequivocally going to occur. Scary. It's really scary. Hezbollah and Hamas, both of which receive money, funding, rockets, and drones uh, from Iran, are going to launch thousands of their dumbest rockets and their dumbest drones into Israel. And Israel is going to do what it uh, does when that happens. It's going to use their Iron Dome to shoot them down so that its own citizens are not alarmed. But after 10,000 rockets, which will be a minuscule amount compared to the total they have, and their worst rockets being shot down, guess what Israel doesn't have anymore? Projectiles to shoot them down. And then Mm -hmm. Hezbollah and Hamas are going to use their longest range and most sophisticated guidance systems on missiles to launch them into heavily populated areas in Israel. And as they are doing that, the next step of this is going to be that militias. Now, Israel's military is set up to fight um, armies. You know, they have... You can't use a, an F-16 to, uh, to fight jihadists. You can't use Israel's navy to fight jihadists. And so it's going to be, as exactly as Yashaya said, it's going to be a flood of jihadists that are going to come into Israel. And they're going to come in from Lebanon. They're going to come in from Jordan. They're going to come in from Syria. They're going to come in from Gaza. And Saudi Arabia this time, who stood up against that the last time because it wasn't in Saudi's best interest, isn't going to say a word this time. Al Jazeera is going to fan the flames. The justification is protecting the holy site of Alaska Mosque against Jewish incursion. That will be their rallying cry. Stupid, of course. 
But with them coming in by the tens of thousands as jihadists, and Israel's not set up to, to deal with that. They're set up to fight no. two or three uh, jihadists plotting at, yeah. uh, at one time or, or an, a military attacking them, but not tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of jihadists while its uh, cities are in peril with constant barrage of rocket attack. And they're going to first overwhelm the settlements, which are the least defended. And once they overwhelm the settlements, and Israel has no defense for that, because tanks aren't going to work, not going to help. F-16s, not going to help. Air superiority, not going to help. Not in this kind of war. And because it's not officially Iran that is promulgating the war, the world's going to yawn. Europe is not going to care. The United States is not going to care. China, if anything, is going to side with the, uh, the Iranian uh, I, militias. Right. And it is For likely sure. that Israel will be in a position where, where they make the decision to sue for peace, to give up the settlements, go retreat to the 1967 uh, demarcation lines, and have um, uh, put themselves in a position where they are so vulnerable it will only be a matter of time before there's a, a massive coordinated attack against Israel. That's the writing that's on the wall. And so it's a very scary time for Israel. And then you have the problem of the liberal Jews, the United States, have become anti-Israel. They don't even want to acknowledge that they're Jewish. And in Israel, you have hundreds of thousands of leftist progressive protesters that are, are causing enormous disruption on an unbelievably foolish argument. You know, opposed to judicial reform when you don't even have a constitution. Screaming that it's that they're pro-democracy when you don't even have a constitution. It's a um, it's a desperate situation for Israel. Um, Benjamin Netanyahu, who I'm no fan of because of his alliance with really nutcase. Um, right-wing wackos and mostly religious wackos. Uh, but they've just recently done polls in Israel, and Likud is no longer the most popular party. As a matter of fact, it's third. And uh, wow. Benny Gantz's uh, party is now by far the dominant party in Israel if there were elections. So if uh, Ben-Gur, who is, uh, who is the, uh, constantly claiming that he's going to take down the government, should he do so? And he's a whack job. Uh, and there were elections. You'd have Benny Gantz as uh, the prime minister of, uh, of Israel. And uh, Benny Gantz has some good qualities. I think he's a steady hand uh, head of the IDF. But uh, he is, uh, is, he's gone from reasonably conservative to a moderate. And that's not going to work in uh, Israel at this time. So that's where we are, and it's a frightening place to be in, uh, in Israel. Um, 
I thought that the article's sources were exceedingly weak, but the information that, uh, that was being used uh, and the reasoning being applied uh, was unassailable. And, and it is all consistent with what we have talked about because we've read the prophets and this is what they say. Okay, uh, that's it. Uh, my, my friend here, Captain Kirk, has uh, requested. Hey. This is, you know, the last uh, two programs he, he's made special requests, so he must be flying the <laughs> ship here. Um, he's now requested that uh, we, uh, we share uh, Mismore 22. Mismore 22 is an exceedingly powerful uh, story. It, it presents crucifixion and uh, death by crucifixion um, some 700 years before crucifixion was invented. And it speaks of the Roman uh, flagella uh, and how it would rip uh, skin and tendons off a body uh, again 700 years before there were even any Romans. Uh, but the most important part of the 22nd Mismore is it's written in first person by Dode of his personal experience as the Pesach Gael, as the Passover lamb. And it is undeniable that a man who proves his credentials as a prophet, and you know, Israel wants to think of Dode as a uniting king, and he was that, the great defender of Israel. He was the Messiah. He, uh, uh, but he is the son of God. Uh, God calls him his son many times. He calls him his firstborn yes. as well. Uh, but Dode is far more than that. Uh, Dode is the Pesach Ale. It's his soul that occupied a body that served as the Passover lamb. And more importantly, that served to take the guilt of Israel and the covenant members into Sheol and deposit it so that we would appear perfect in Yahweh's eyes. And we spent uh, two programs really uh, analyzing what it was about uh, Dode and his life as king of Israel that caused him to want to do this because it was his decision. He volunteered for this mission. And his rationale was that two days of, of hell, really, one day of hell on earth and the body that his soul was occupying being ripped to shred by Romans and then nailed to a death stake and tortured by the Romans while being mocked by his own people, followed by 24 hours in hell where his soul laden with the covenant members guilt went into hell on matzah to remove the stigma and stain of religion and politics from our souls that he figured if i serve in that role and endure this hellish treatment for two days then for all eternity i will have earned the respect of my people and Doe's argument was a sound one, which is why Yahweh supported it. Yeah. All Doe yeah, had yeah. to do is look at Moshe. Moshe was as close to a perfect person as you're ever going to meet. Man had character. Man had, had steadfastness. 
He was intellectually a brilliant, great orator, brilliant writer, wonderful leader, a man of courage and conviction. And yet the children of Israel were constantly turning on him. And so Dodd, who was a student of the Torah, wrote the 119th Mismore Psalm to explain every letter in the Torah. He knew that story as well as anyone alive. And he knew that Moshe, who was darn near perfect, couldn't earn the respect of Israelites. How in the world would Dod then serve as the everlasting king of kings over these people? Particularly since Dod was no Moshe. Yeah, Dod was a wonderful defender of his people. He united Israel. He beat back every foe of Israel. He uh, conquered uh, with very little consequence, but uh, in terms of short term, with long term benefits, Jerusalem made made built the city of Dod. He was a great builder. He was the greatest orator and lyricist in human history. Many outstanding qualities had tremendous passion and enthusiasm. For God was always right about Yahweh. But man, he had some serious blunders in his life. You know, Moshe's two or three mistakes were minuscule. Dodes were massive. And so Dode recognized the only way that he's going to earn respect for himself, respect with his father, respect with his people, was to do something that was, well, the most heroic and beneficial sacrifice in human history. He became the Passover lamb and served to redeem our souls by going to the place of separation in Sheol in our stead. This was done. And Yahweh, when confronted with Job, saying, this is what I want, this is what I need, this is in everyone's best interest, recognized that his son was right. You can't argue with right. And Yahweh also recognized that he had set this up so that it was Pesach opens the doorway to life. Matzah uh, removes us from being under the control and influence of religion and politics so that we can be born into the covenant family on Bakurim called Firstborn Children. Dod is Yahweh's firstborn. He is his Bakor. And so if it's Dod that is fulfilling Pesach and Matzah, then Bakurim is a natural fit. If it's Yahweh's soul put in a nondescript body, he certainly can serve as the Pesach Gael. He can discard the body, Send that soul as a as a avatar as a, as a probe into Sheol, taking our sin with us. But Yahweh's soul can't come back as the firstborn child. Dode can. And if Dode does it with his soul versus Yahweh's soul, it's actually a bigger sacrifice for Yahweh. It is still Yahweh providing the lamb. And Dode earns the eternal respect 
of everyone that matters, of everyone who will enter eternity. He did this so we could be there. So it's one of the most brilliant decisions in all of human history. And don't realize, it's two days. Okay, it's going to be bad. But it's two days. And if I endure those two days with Yahweh's help, I then have earned everyone's respect. Only one problem. His people denied him of it. Jews deliberately wrote him out of the agenda. Christians created a fictitious character, a Jesus Christ who never existed, and gave Dode's titles, Dode's roles, everything Dode, they transferred onto this mythical character. And Jews, when they saw this religion take root in Judea, panicked, particularly Rabbi Akiba. And so he came up with his own Messiah, Bar Kokhba. That turned out really well. It uh, brought the wrath of Rome on <laughs> Judea, destroyed Judea, caused uh, hundreds of thousands of Jews to be crucified, led directly to the diaspora, which led to the Holocaust. And yet this is the father of Judaism. Doesn't speak well for a Jewish intelligence, does it? So you have Jews denying that Pesach, Matzah, Bakudim, and Shabuah were fulfilled so they could get this Christian monkey off their back. And you have Christians creating this artificial caricature and the largest religion in the world by renaming a Dionysus character, an Odysseus character, Jesus Christ, and having a dead god on a stick be their symbol and rob Dode of everything he had done. And that was the state of affairs until a few weeks ago. And yeah, I was very forthright saying that we would find this and we would share it and it would change the mindset of Jews and Goyim to such an extent that there would be a joyous reunion on Kippurim. So the story we're going to tell about the 22nd Mismore is exceedingly important so long as you understand the motivation behind it. Why Dode volunteered to do this and why Yawa agreed. So this chapter, which has not been posted yet, and it's not going to be posted until uh, I've written uh, several more chapters. I have done all of the uh, the heavy lifting for them, which is that um, I want to go into every meaningful prophecy that is usurped by Twistians to uh, create this caricature, this fictitious individual Jesus Christ. So you'd start, for example, in Daniel 9, where it talks about a Messiah being cut off, but not for himself. That'll be my next chapter. Speaking of Dode, Dode is actually the speaker, and it only mentions Dode. The son who is, uh, who, a child who is born, a son who is given, mentions Dode in the middle of it. Speaking of Dode. A voice calls out. There's only one name mentioned. It's Dode's. 
the story of the, of the, of the sacrificial wow. lamb of Isaiah 53. It opens by saying, do you know who the Zoroah are? Because if you know who the sacrificial lamb is and the Zoroah, then you're going to understand what follows. Well, the principle of Zoroah is dote. And so, all the way through, I'm going to take every one of these and demonstrate that they're overt. They're either written in first person by Dode, as is the 22nd Psalm, or they're written by the likes of Yashaya, and Dode is the only person who's named. For anybody that's saying, oh, yeah, but this is really tough, you know, uh, you tell me there was no Jesus, I'm telling you there's not even an Ayosha. But most certainly there was no Jesus Christ. I say, well, you know, how, how is that possible? Well, why don't you tell me something? How come Yahweh has enough prophetic revelations that even the smartest person given 40 years of their adult life would have no chance of comprehending all of them. I mean, there is so much prophetic revelation about the fulfillment of Chagmasa and later of Yahweh's return with Dod. Why don't you tell me why the only name that is mentioned in every prophecy regarding each of these two is Dod. And there isn't a single prophecy this Jesus Christ character is supposed to be so goddamn important. Why isn't there a single prophecy that mentions his name? Not one. And why must every prophecy that you want to usurp to give credit to him have Dode's name in the midst of it? Do you think God's that stupid? That a, the most important name ever I'm going to never share with you? It's never provided once, ever, anywhere. It's the most ludicrous thing in the world. I'm writing a chapter uh, now, if I could just finish it this afternoon, where I'm saying that uh, the three greatest villains, the three people that Dode goes after, are Peter, Paul, and Akiva. They're the three men that started the mythos that there was this mythical character called Jesus Christ and that he uh, stole everything that, uh, that God afforded Dote. And with uh, Peter, I go through the, the incredulous development of his name, and it's, it's an eye-opening experience to read that. And then go into the speech that he gives, his first public address. And it's, uh, he's trying to justify Shabuah, and he gets everything wrong. I mean, he isn't even close. And then he comes up with this, the first person to publicly say that everything that was promised to David was given to his Jesus. There is nothing... Ever that has upset Yahweh more than this, that's pained Yahweh more than this, that will cause a greater consequence than this. 
All right. Wow. So, 22nd Mismore. It was translated probably 17 or 18 years ago. Uh, and I did it then uh, because it was the only eyewitness of Passover's fulfillment. There is no other inspired eyewitness to Passover's uh, fulfillment. I mean, Mismore 88 uh, has some, but that's also written by Doug. It was retranslated briefly to become the concluding chapter of the second volume of Coming Home. I'm currently writing volume three of uh, Coming Home. It's uh, entitled Dode David. So in our quest to better understand Dode and his relationship with Yahweh, in the intervening time, we've not only rewritten every volume of Yada Yahweh, I think there's 25 or so on the bookshelf, plus the three books that I wrote prior to this. And let me share with you that based upon what we talked about uh, at the beginning of this program. Because Yahweh had me begin by writing Prophet of Doom and exposing mm-hmm. and condemning Muhammad, the Quran, and Islam, exposing them all to be a complete and utter fraud, and then to expose and condemn Christianity and the four books of Questioning Paul, and then to condemn Judaism in the books entitled Babel, and then to convey Yahweh's path in his words as we have throughout Yada Yahweh and an introduction to God. We are positioned as the most comprehensive and credible source in the world to be able to combat what Israel is about ready to endure. So our path here is important. We are not speaking, uh, sharing opinions. Right. We're better informed on these subjects than anyone else in the world. In the whole world, yeah. So needless to say, we have learned a great deal and have grown in our relationship with Yahweh over that time. And as part of this growth and understanding, we have finally come to appreciate and acknowledge that it was Dode's desire to fulfill the Mikrai. And as I shared with you last week, started grappling with this. In fact, I even ha- it was in this chapter that, that I, uh, I pulled out of, uh, of coming home two to, uh, to present this way and now coming home three, volume three, that specifically uh, talked about the possibility that Dode was the Pesach Ael. I said, this is written in first person. It certainly exp- it speaks of him. And we never denied it. The only reason we didn't go there is unless you understand the motivation, it seems it's like something Yahweh would never accept. Yeah, and then once you I understand agree. those arguments, you realize it was something Yahweh couldn't reject. <laughs> yep. It was, it was just ch- changing mm-hmm. everything. So now as we strive to properly present the life and lyrics of the Messiah and the Son of God, it's time to return to his eyewitness count of Pesach's fulfillment in the year 4000 Yah, 33 CE. This graphic and honest first-person account of what the Passover lamb endured was written in his own words. Now, the dedication of Mismore 22 includes a, 
a unique variation of a common word, A-L. Uh, A-L is typically translated lamb when, uh, when associated with the Pesach A-L. But it has many other connotations. It means uh, the, the uh, door jam, which, which a, a door will uh, pivot open. Uh, it uh, um, uh, is we're going to see here also speaks of of um, uh, of a leader who governs. Uh, it uh, speaks of doorposts. Speaks of a strong and healthy, vigorous individual who is devoted to protecting the flock. It was written <laughs> in what appears to be the uh, a contract a a, 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 a Am I trying to say contraction? I'm mm-hmm. uh, still operating here uh, with uh, with um, um, about half of my brain cells tied behind my back. Um, uh, the reason is that I, I got uh, uh, another round of COVID, and it just gives me debilitating headaches. They started to dissipate three or four days ago, so I am on the uh, on the mend. But uh, with the headaches, particularly since I start at five in the morning, and it is. 7:45 here. It's a long time to look at a computer screen when your head hurts. Uh, so I, I, I beg your indulgence if uh, if I stammer from uh, here to there. It's Certainly. it's uh, it, no fear. it's part it's part of the job to work through these kinds of things. So it's not a complaint. It's just a uh, observation for you. So I think it was written uh, as a, a contraction in the plural, and rather than O W T H, just the T H uh, to signify. Uh, plural. So I think it conveys all of these different things. So I'm going to translate it that way. Dodro, to the glorious director and everlasting guide, ha, Laha Natash, uh, concerning the approach of the brilliant conductor and preeminent orchestrator. He's speaking of Yahweh, of course. According to, and this is A.L.S., according to the leadership of the ram, the lamb opening the doorway, Leaping like a buck. The plural of AL, ram or a male lamb, the leader who governs, the door jam or door post, a buck or stag, and one who is sufficiently strong, healthy, and vigorous to protect the flock of the dawn. You read an English translation, it's going to say the, um, the doe of the dawn. But uh, um, doe would be uh, A-L-A-H. It would have the A-H ending to make it feminine, and it doesn't have that ending. So it cannot be doe, and uh, it wouldn't describe the A-L, which is masculine, in the, uh, the ram. So right. the glorious director and everlasting guide to the, uh, the glorious director and everlasting guide, according to the leadership of the ram, the lamb opening the doorway, leaping like a buck of the dawn. Uh, Dode describes himself quite often using the term buck. And uh, it's a graphic depiction of someone who is nimble, who is able to, uh, to show kind of great joy in, uh, in the way that they uh, make progress and journey through uh, uh, pastures and life. And so this shepherd looked at the, the, the great uh, uh, bucks of, uh, of the region and realized what a graceful, fast, and agile individual. 
And so this is a very special and agile ram that is opening the doorway. And of the dawn is uh, insightful in this because he wasn't very bucky on Pesach. He wasn't very bucky on the uh, uh, the uh, beginning, the morning of matzah, because he would have been in Sheol. But on the morning yeah. of Bakurim, which is his time to be the Bakor of Bakurim, uh, he is leaping like a buck at the buck of the dawn, speaking. That's the end of the ordeal. So he's actually speaking of the whole process here. He is the ram that is opening the door on Pesach. He is the uh, the the leader uh, who is protecting the uh, the sheep by taking all of our guilt with him down to uh, Sheol and depositing there. And he is the buck uh, who is leaping in the dawn on Pekorim when it is over. It is a song, a, a mismor of doubt. This is how it begins. And then there's a very, very famous line. It is written in first person for a reason. Because the author, having identified himself, is speaking. Now, you would have thought, as smart as Dode is, and Dode, no one could say anything other than Dode is articulate, he is smart. If Dode was going to say, I am writing about some other dude out there, <laughs> If this is the most important thing going on, A, Mm -hmm. he's going to name him, and B, he's going to call him him. He said. But he he doesn't. take credit for Yahweh. Yes, he doesn't. It's first person. And the only name is his own. My God. My God. Why? For what reason? For how long? And to what end? Have you in this moment forsaken me? Have you even for this finite time abandoned and relinquished me? I mentioned Dode was among the most articulate and prolific prophets. He had volunteered for this mission. He knew why. This question was rendered for our benefit. Absolutely. When I asked the question, why would God go to all of this trouble to have hundreds and thousands of prophecies about the fulfillment of Pesach, Matzah, Bakurim, and then his return with Dod in the last days, only to admit this magical name, Jesus Christ, if it was so important? And why would he include Dod's name in every one of those prophecies if it wasn't him? I didn't ask you that question because I was seeking the answer. I want you to think about it. Dode is doing the same thing here. He says, why? Can you figure it out? And that's the key thing for us to understand. Azab, which is the word that he used for separation of abandonment and damnation, is uh, uh, distancing from God. So that we know at this moment, Dod's Nefesh was en route to Sheol. Profoundly important in this case, Azab was scribed in the call stem, which means uh, interpreted literally, genuinely, actually, 
but more important than mm-hmm. that, in the perfect conjugation. What does the perfect conjugation mean? Complete. Yeah, it's, 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 like it's a uh, a time limited In event. Finite time. Yeah, yeah. A finite, finite time. Yeah. That the in, imperfect yeah. conjugation is on an ongoing period of time. Perfect conjugation, finite time. So right. this separation was going to be for a finite time. <clears throat> Happened to be 24 hours. <laughs> Might have seemed like a longer or shorter period of time to uh, to him. It's really interesting, the whole concept of a black hole, that uh, that when you're subjected to, uh, to great uh, energy and uh, great uh, uh, amounts of, uh, of mass or matter, time slows. Sure. And so 24 hours on Earth would have, could have seen like a, a second to somebody in an environment where time slows. So what would have seemed like a second to him on the event horizon, for example, of a black hole could well seem like the full 24 hours to us. That makes sense. So it was a very, you know, Yahweh said, okay, we're, we're going to do this. It's not going to be any fun, but we're going to do this. He's going to have his son experience that black hole, that environment in Sheol, for the absolute limited amount of time. And the, the time was 24 hours on Earth. But 24 hours on Earth is not 24 hours in the event horizon of a black hole. Not even close. Not even yeah. remotely. So it could have seemed just like a second. So it was written in the perfect conjugation which limits the amount of time the separation uh, would occur. Now, keep in mind that while Dode is relating his own experience, he is not able to do so until it's all over. He will be taking us in and out of the timeline as he recalls his perceptions as these monumental events play out. He has already lived through them by the time he is telling us about them. So prior to Pesach, Dode's soul was resident in a nondescript body, one which would soon be discarded. I can't tell you how, and it wouldn't matter if I could, how a soul was, Dode's soul, was put into a, uh, the embryo of, uh, of a woman whose name we do not know, uh, body. Uh, a lot of reasons for that. One is, as scientists, we haven't got a clue as to what a soul is. We know that consciousness is the thing that, that, that defines animal life versus plant life, and that that a animal with a soul, uh, with consciousness, is capable of observing and responding to their environment. Plants don't have them. Animals do. We know that when it departs, the body dies and decays. We know why it's there. The body is alive. We can't measure it. So it isn't something that uh, uh, I'm in a position, or anybody can be in a position with what we know to say this is what a soul is comprised of. 
We know when Yahweh speaks of a soul, the soul represents the totality of who we are. Yahweh doesn't care what we look like. He doesn't care if you're five foot two or seven foot six. He doesn't care if you're in shape or not in shape. He doesn't care if you're blonde or redhead or a brunette. He doesn't care. Doesn't see any of that. He looks at your soul. Your soul is the sole repository of your character, of your persona, of your experiences, of your thoughts, of your memories, of your proclivities. We all have different proclivities. If you were to have me draw something, you know, I can't even draw a good stick person. And Kirk, <laughs> you know, is a renowned like a hay. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a hay. I can draw a hay. Uh, <laughs> so we have different proclivities. I'll work Kirk's with you. a nice guy. I don't work on being a nice guy. That, to me, being a nice guy is useless. I want to be a right guy. Right. That's all I care about. I want to be right me too. and to be committed me to too. being right and to share what's right. I don't really care how you feel about it. And so, you know, we all have our proclivities and attributes. Our soul is the reservoir of those. We're taking those things with us. The body is meaningless. So the body that Dode's soul was placed in was irrelevant. Now, in this case, according to Yashaya, it, it was nothing to look at. Okay? It was irrelevant. Dode was hanging in it because he had a job to do, and he'd committed to, uh, to that job. And so we know that Dode's soul, which when Dode ended his life as king and breathed his last as king of Israel, his soul was taken to Shamaim to be with Yahweh. It had been with Yahweh at this point a thousand years. His body, uh, dead and buried, we don't care. He didn't care about his body. The body is meaningless. Uh, that's why bodily resurrection is so stupid. It's counterproductive. The soul is what counts. And so Dode's soul was always enveloped in, in Yahweh's spirit. Well, we know it was from, from eight years old, which pretty much is his whole life. And so it looked perfect to Yahweh. It was protected. It was empowered. It was enlightened. That's what happened when he was anointed at eight years old. It's enveloped in the set-apart spirit. It goes to Shamaim. The set-apart spirit that's still enveloped over his soul, takes his soul, places it into uh, uh, to his mother. And uh, I'm, later in this chapter, I'll tell you about the conversation that Dode had with, uh, with mom. Uh, which had to be a funny one. <laughs> did chat with her in, uh, in advance. But this is what happened. So you've got Dode's soul in a body that was designed to be discarded. And prior to this moment, he had enjoyed the comfort and encouragement, the perfecting nature, the enlightenment and support of the Ruach Kodesh, the set-apart spirit, who was his constant companion during his prior life. Therefore, with her departure, uh, there was a massive void. Talk about feeling naked. As mm-hmm. for the body he was using, parting with it would be a good riddance. It had uh, once been so ordinary 
it was never described. And now it was a gory mess. The Romans had ripped its skin off its tendons with, and bones with their whips and now were uh, anguishing it further by nailing it to a death stake. What was left of the body was nearly dead. And having served its purpose, it would soon be incinerated in accordance with the Torah's instructions, never Mm -hmm. to be seen again. That's just the facts. That's how it happened. So the next line, this is uh, Mismore 22.2. Far, remote and distance in time, separated in space, alienated and no longer in a state of close association. Away from my liberation and deliverance are the words of my anguished groaning. Shaka'ani, of my roaring moan as a lion, my guttural cries and torment. It's uh, the roar of the lion, as Dode represents, the lion of Yehuda, that is pleasant on all of our uh, on all of our books. Yes. The realization that Dode's soul had a long way to go to accomplish the mission is particularly relevant. Pesach is just the beginning. The first right. of three successive mikre over a seven-day period. And while the most visible Passover it is Passover, it isn't actually the most important step in his journey to, uh, or ours, to God. Because that occurs on matzah, when we actually begin heading home. Now, there's a common mistake made by Jews who believe that Passover is the main event. They all talk about having the seven days of the Passover holiday. No, there's not seven days of Passover. It's one day of Passover. Chagmatzah is seven days long. Passover is just the first day of Chagmatzah. Matzah is just an ingredient now to religious Jews. But no, to Yahweh, it's the whole Megillicuddy. I don't think that's a Hebrew word. And it's so clear. It says chag, matzah. It's, it's not obscure. Yeah, everywhere. Mm-hmm. No, you don't have We did a program last week on Yahweh has to say about chag, matzah. And it's every superlative Yahweh has in his book, and he's got a bunch of them, he applies to chag, matzah. Yeah. It's the event of Passover. So. Just, the first, yeah, just the first day of chag, matzah. Passover is the doorway. So the children of Israel had a wonderful meal on, on Passover. They had a good night's sleep on Passover. Uh, Moshe and, uh, and Aaron uh, were summoned to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, hey, get the heck out of here. This is, this is, this is uh, not working out for me anymore. Uh, yeah, it opened the door. And they walked out that door the following morning. Yes, it's still Passover, but they didn't get out of Egypt that day. Even if they were able to walk 60 miles, which would be Herculean, all they got to is, the, uh, is a pass that was uh, um, between the land of Egypt and the Sinai, which wasn't part of Egypt. Egypt had military outposts there. None, however, where the children of Israel crossed. Yahweh said, don't go up there. Go down here. They're thinking you're going to go up there. Don't go up there. Go down here. Even today, if you look at the route they took, there isn't a single village yeah. or town. Nothing. So it's not part of... They were in the wilderness and had walked out of 
of religious and political and economic and military oppression on matzah. And the symbolism, they were born into the covenant family on Bakurim as they gushed out of the, uh, of the Gulf of Aqaba, arm of the Red Sea. That's the visual that Yahweh is trying to convey to us. So it is important to recognize that the way that religious Jews celebrate Passover as if it were the event is the way that it is advanced in Ezekiel, where Passover is the only mikre Satan wants to pervert and then maintain. Of course, his idea is he wants to eat dode on Passover, which is probably not the, the proper way to celebrate it. But uh, nonetheless, it's the only one. He mentions matzah, but it's, it's the way the Jews celebrate it. It's an ingredient. Eat it. And so Satan was inspired by Satan. It's Satan's, uh, Ezekiel was. It's Satan's uh, autobiography. Uh, and unfortunately, Undoubtedly. Uh, rabbinical Jews got it from there. And, yeah. and it's just flat out wrong. It's inconsistent with Yahweh's teaching. This is indeed the opposite of what Yahweh had to say about these three days uh, that would play out during a week-long celebration of life and family. God calls this time Chag Matzah, the party of matzah, of unyeasted bread. Uh, accordingly, Passover is the doorway to unyeasted bread, leading to firstborn children, and therefore from Doe's position during Pesach, the main event still lay before him. Now, I've shared this thought with you previously, but when speaking to puzzled Jews about this realization, I asked them, what happened to the Israelites during the first observance of Pesach. And they will claim liberation, but the answer is nothing. They had a lovely dinner and went to bed. They were freed from and left Mitzrayim on matzah as they passed into it the It took Sinai. me a second to get it, but I got it. You, it yeah. makes sense. Yes. And if you look at where they camped out, that campsite is in a pass right above uh, where it's, uh, Suez is now. <clears throat> that mm -hmm. takes you from the land of Egypt and that, that area that they called the, they called the Black Land that was uh, uh, watered by the Nile and therefore livable for them. And it takes you from that moment on, you're in the Sinai that doesn't support life. Right. So they had left the political and religious land of, uh, of Mitzrayim and they <clears throat> entered the wilderness in Sinai on Matzah. And therefore, while their lives were spared by Pesach, when others around them lost theirs, they walked away from religious and political corruption during unyeasted bread. And once free, they became the uh, um, children of Israel as they were symbolically reborn when emerging from the sea on their way to the promised land as family. However, well, Yahweh would take the Israelites uh, out of Egypt. He was not about to remove the Egyptian influence from them without their permission, which they never offered. And so to resolve this problem, Dode carried Israel's legacy of rebelling against Yahweh with him into Sheol, where their collective guilt 
as well as that of every Covenant member would remain. Also worth noting, time would slow, as I've shared, and all but stop flowing uh, during uh, matzah within the black hole of Sheol. So I can't tell you if it would have seemed like an eternity. I don't think so. I think it's the opposite way that, uh, that uh, uh, well, time is infinite in a black hole and all other dimensions are are exceedingly finite. I think that the way that the physics would work on this case is 24 hours for us would go by, by in, a, uh, in a very brief period of time for him. But there'd be no reference to time where he was. You know, in the blackness of uh, the swirling disorientation and the vertigo of a black hole, there would be, uh, there'd be no reference to time. It, uh, I mean, I can't even imagine the anguish of the whole thing, and uh, um, and Dode is the only person, the only soul that's ever been there and come out. He continues, my God, I am appointed, this is Kara, Kara is the basis of Mikra, I am appointed to call out and continually proclaim the summons to make the invitation known. But this day, you do not answer. So by night, there is no relief for me, no expectation of rest or silence. So Dode is announcing that he was here to fulfill the Mikra. That's why he has Kara. Kara means all those things that I've just shared with you. He said, I am mentioned and named when reading and reciting the offers to meet and to be welcomed. It was written in the call and perfect, ongoing, literal, first-person, singular. So he's saying, I represent the Mikra. I am announcing the Mikra. I read and recite during the uh, Mikra. I'm proclaiming an invitation and trying to make these invitations known, uh, issuing even a summons for you to attend and meet. And he wanted this to occur so that his sacrifice wouldn't be in vain. You can make the most noble sacrifice in the world. And if nobody knows about it, it doesn't do anybody any good. So I think it's safe to say that Yahweh intended, or Yahweh's intended response to Pesach and Matzah was to deploy his soul. I think that literally was God's intent. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you might say, wait a minute, why wouldn't God get his intent? Didn't he plan everything from the beginning? No, he didn't. Pretty well. He didn't plan for his children to rebel against him. He didn't plan out the waters of Mirabah. He didn't plan out the birth of Islam or the birth of Christianity or Judaism. These are things that happened. God intervenes at very specific moments to fulfill his plan. But even then, he always intervenes with a select human. In this case, the select human was Dode. And in this case, Dode convinced Yahweh that it was best if he serve as the lamb and fulfill matzah so that he could be the firstborn of Bukotam because of what it would do for everyone in the covenant family throughout eternity. And so God wants to be pleasantly surprised. That's the whole nature of a relationship. Boy, if you, yeah, if, 
you know, you're living your day, and every day is like Groundhog Day, that the Bill Murray movie. That would not yeah. be fun. If you knew what was going to happen in advance of everything that happened exactly the way it was going to play out, oh, my God, would it be dreary. And so that's the beauty of relationships is we don't know how they're going to play out. That's the joy of being in one. And so this is something that I think Yahweh intended for his soul to serve as the Pesach Gael, and Dode convinced him that it should be his for all the reasons we've discussed. This way, he would have been able to endure the consequence and the penalty of our guilt. And while he would have prevailed if Yahweh had taken this approach, this would not, this, well, it would have been super awkward come Bukotam because Yahweh's nefesh was not his son. More importantly, God had fulfilled, had God, I should say, fulfilled Passover and unyeasted bread. Uh, doing so alone, then he would have acted out of character because there's no other examples other than creation of God acting alone. And even in creation, really like that. he speaks of we. I really like that. Yeah, so the most momentous occasion isn't the liberation of the children of Yisrael from Mitzrayim, although it is, you know, it, it makes it, uh, do. you know, number yeah. one on the list that Yahweh etched in stone, and it's, uh, it brought us the Torah, uh, and it's where the Moed Mikre were introduced. It's really important, and God found the only guy that he could work with. Moshe was it. There was no other person that had the experiences that Moshe had and the character of Moshe had. That's why God was so insistent. Let's go do this. Moshe, I really want you to do this. I'll be with you. Don't worry about uh, the fact that you don't think you can speak really well. I invented your tongue. I'm really capable of uh, giving you what you need. He was the only person on the planet who could do what God wanted done, and God was not going to do it alone. He always works with people. So something even more important than the Exodus is the fulfillment of the Moed Mikre. Pesach, Matzah, Bakudim, Shabuah, Teruah, Kippurim, and Sukkah. Why would God break character and do those things alone when he does everything else with a select individual? Why is God on record saying, I'm going to come back on Kippurim and I'm bringing Dode with me. And the reason I'm bringing Dode with me is he's going to anoint the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant so we can reconcile the relationship in accordance with the Torah. God could have done it on his own. No, he couldn't. Because it would be out of character. God does never, never acts out of character. And so it is in God's character to work with an individual who is willing to do this. Even now, you know, 22 years ago on Teruah, he said, hey, you, stupid. I got a job to do. No one else is willing to do it. <laughs> I know you're Not my style to work alone. Not I know I'm pretty desperate but... here to reach out to you. I got no other options. <laughs> Not exactly how the conversation went, but should have. <laughs> However, uh, look at the uh, results. Short form today. 22 years later, 8 to 10 hours a day. Today will be 16 hours. 
six and seven days a week. Look at the bookshelf. Look at the radio. Look what Yahweh got. Turned out pretty darn good. Yeah, he is not stupid. He picks people that can actually do what needs to be done. And the fact that we're not perfect at doing it gives him, just like Moshe, it gives him the opportunity to contribute what we need to be victorious, to prevail. And it also dumbs it down a bit so that people can understand it. God's so smart and so fast that it's much harder for him and our present state, as different as we are, to take it directly from him. But if he shares it with us and we take enough time to say, oh, yeah, I've read this now 500 times, I think I get it, then we can convey it in a way that other people could get it. That's the way it works. That's what... That's why God told the Israelites when they said, we don't want to hear from you anymore. He says, I agree. i got a better plan. I'll speak for this guy. I, was just, I wasn't really here to replace him anyway. I like working with him. I was just here so that you would know for certain I was speaking to him and through him. That was the whole point. The whole point wasn't mm-hmm. to usurp working with uh, Moshe. It was to demonstrate to the children of Israel in an unquestionable deal. manner that I am using—I'm working with this guy. You ought to trust what he's saying because I'm working with him. Now, in this particular case, with the uh, idiot Goy that he uh, he found 22 years ago, he must have 200 to 300 prophecies about this Goy. He's told his people every which way. I'm working with the Goy. My last witness. I think it's because it's unbelievable he's, uh, he's, to them. He's going to be a goy. I'm going to tell you he's yeah. a goy because none of you were willing to do the job. But I'm going to empower him. I'm going to give him seven spirits to, to get this job done. But we're going to get this job done. But he's not shy about telling you, this is who I'm working with. He was working with Dode. It made absolute perfect sense. And it is particularly right as it comes to Bakudim. So this time, Yahweh facilitated Dode's desire by not responding to withdraw him. He would do so, but not until the conclusion of Matzah. Otherwise, he would have circumvented the whole purpose. The full day and night of separation would not only isolate Dode's soul, but during this time, there would be no communication between father and son. Now, in their case, that had not occurred for over a thousand years. For a thousand years, they had communicated rather uh, consistently. It is interesting to note that there is... uh, no noise whatsoever in space. You know, you always see this Star Wars, Star Trek, and there, you know, the rocket goes, they go zoom, you know, and all these great sounds and orchestra and all that. There's no sound in space because no medium to convect sound waves. But in the event horizon of a black hole, um, and in a black hole, the medium is really, really thick, sound would be deafening. 
Hmm. So when he says it's loud, that's exactly what you would expect. In fact, as you increase in dimensions, if we were actually liberated in the fourth dimension of time, the noise of the fourth dimension would be more than our brains could handle. We could even process. It would drive us crazy. So he is actually telling us a profound truth about the dimensionality uh, experience that he was going to endure. So within the extreme density of a black hole, the noise would have been oppressive as the fabric uh, of the material realm is ripped apart, pulverized. Would have been anguishing. When allowing his soul to enter Sheol, Dode had to implicitly trust Yahweh. And to an extent we can only um, desire. No soul had ever been allowed to escape. This would be the first and the last. And there is no better news because when Dode carried his people's guilt with him into Sheol, leaving it there, our souls were unleavened. The pervasive fungus of religion and politics was forever expunged. So in this way, the covenant's children are perfected. And guess what? He took that stuff that he did that wasn't so good, like the way that he failed to respond when his, his firstborn uh, raped uh, his daughter, or the way that he failed to respond appropriately when Absalom uh, then uh, killed his firstborn for doing so, or that Absalom, because Dode didn't respond correctly, led that insurrection. I, the reason Dode pined over Absalom as opposed to saying, you know, which you did, you deserve to, uh, to die here, you really made a, a bad call, is that don't realize that it was his own mistakes that led him to do that. And so I'm quite certain that Dode said, cutting a deal with Yahweh, as close as they were, he said, yeah, if I do this, not if, you're going to let me do this because it's the right thing to do, but I'm taking Absalom's um, sin with me. Wow. What a father. Huge, huge motivation for a father. Huge. Yeah. And there's no way that Dode, knowing his personality, would have uh, um, not asked for it, nor any chance that Yahweh wouldn't have given it to him. And I can guarantee you, one of the things he took with him is to say, you know, I'm, I'm really, uh, I, I've made some mistakes, and one was uh, the Bathsheba mistake. I I, uh, I want to take the guilt of that. When Dode was given three choices of, of how he could absolve uh, a problem, and he picked the worst one, and uh, thousands of uh, Israelites died, uh, he, he's, he took also those things with him. They don't exist anymore. In eternity, we get to celebrate the Dode who glows as brilliantly as, and is as radiant as Yahweh. That's why Yahweh has seen him, by the way. Gratified? Yeah. That's how Yahweh has seen him all along. Yeah. Do you think that's so why the Torah will be ratified? Do I see what now? Do you think that's why the Torah will be ratified to erase or those records? I guess I'm not – my hearing my hearing isn't good or the microphone or something because I, I can't – I don't understand your question. Okay. Never mind. Carry on. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Maybe you can. No you'll send it to me, and I'll read it. But no, it's hard for me to understand the uh, the question. So, 
projecting his thoughts towards his father and recognizing that they were now on opposite sides of the universe, Dode reminisced. He said, you are set apart. One of the most important aspects of Yahweh's nature. You're not common, which means you're not religious. You're unique, distinct, separated from all this gunk of mankind. So you're set apart, living to establish the renown and reputation of Yisrael. You know, it's an interesting thing that Dode, in addition to representing himself, he represents Yisrael. He's the good and the bad of Yisrael. And by having the foremost of Yisrael man up and do this, you have Yisrael finally taking responsibility. And you have Yahweh saying, or Dod saying of Yahweh, your prime objective, you live to uplift the renown and the reputation of Yisrael. He wants his children to be deserving. He wants his children to be respected. He wants to be proud of his children. And I can guarantee he's proud of Dod. And he will be proud of those children who accept him as their Messiah, their King, and Savior. Now, Yahweh does not want to be worshipped or obeyed, but instead, he lives to reestablish the reputation of his people, Yisrael. That's an amazing insight into his character and purpose. This remains and always will be the prime objective. Even before we realized that this was Dode who was fulfilling Chagmatza, this statement was devastating for Christianity because it means that the Passover lamb was not enduring this sacrifice on behalf of a Gentile church or on behalf of Christians. This son knew what he was talking about in this regard. In you, our fathers relied. They trusted, and you continually rescued them. The promise is, because of my fulfillment of Pesach and Matzah, those who trust you in this regard will be saved. They're going to be brought away from danger to a safe place. They're going to be delivered even during this impending time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, several weeks ago, we had a Q&A period, and there were several questions about what can I do per, to prepare for what's coming, this economic collapse and wars and, and the, uh, the like. Well, this is the answer. Trust Yahweh. Trust Yahweh, and it doesn't matter what happens. God is consistent. When we rely on him, he delivers. Unfortunately, it has been a long time since, well, Israel called out to Yahweh. What, 3,400 and some uh, years. And yet, on this side of the Exodus and with the Torah before us, the first step home begins by summoning Yahweh by name. That is pervasive in the last day's prophecies. You aren't going to be part of the remnant who will witness Dode's return with Yahweh if you're not among those. 
who is using, loving, claiming Yahweh's name. This, however, was uh, not an accident or an academic exercise for the Messiah. He was going to be imprisoned within the most extreme manifestation of Mitzrayim, the crucibles of religious and political oppression, militant and conspiratorial subjugation. As the plural YM contradiction of uh, uh, my to consider it and these the implications of Sarah, so Mitzrayim, plural, the im, uh, the mitz in the beginning of it uh, is to ponder the implications of, and Mitzrayim, therefore, would be uh, consider the implications of being confined and anguished. Uh, consider Yahweh's liberation of the children of Yisrael as they were enslaved in Mitzrayim and how that serves to foreshadow what God would do for and with his son. So this is his plea. Dode is identifying with Yisrael at the most magnificent moment in their long history. To you they cried out for help. The last time that happened was in Mitzrayim. We've just heard the five-second uh, warning, which means we will continue to record we're no longer broadcasting on this particular episode, but since a huge percentage of our listeners call in and listen, those who have called in can still hear what we have to say. The chat room is still uh, operative, uh, and it uh, uh, also is important to know that some 95% or more of the listens to this uh, program uh, occur um, via the archives, uh, which are placed in many different locations throughout the web. You can find uh, those archives by going to yadaya.com and then clicking on the community, and you'll find uh, a number of places where they are uh, are posted. And I think also they're posted new programs on uh, the social media uh, accounts with uh, Twitter and Facebook and the like. So Dode is saying, to you they cried out for help and they were delivered. The last time the children of Israel cried out for help was in Mitzrayim. He's equating the Exodus and Yahweh removing his people, liberating them from being enslaved by a religious and political and militant human institution to what he was doing through Pesach and Matzah. That it is exactly the same thing. And this is such an essential understanding that Dode is teaching us here to understand what Pesach, Matzah, and Bakurim represent. They were initially presented in conjunction with being liberated from being enslaved by religious and political institutions in Egypt. That is what, where the extension of the doorway to life was opened. They were freed from that, uh, walked away from it, and then were born into the covenant on Bakudim into uh, their journey towards the promised land as they crossed the Gulf of Aqaba. And now Dode is going to relive that as an individual representing Yisrael, where he is going to open that doorway to life. He is going to go away from and take away from us all of the gunk and the stigma and stain of religion, and then experience what it's like <coughs> to be born into Yahweh's covenant family. 
So just as the children of Israel cried out for help, and they were delivered. That's what's going to happen for those who seek deliverance by what Dode has done through Chagmatza. In you they trusted and relied, and they were not disappointed nor disapproved. There is another extension of this concept of applying the Exodus experience, not just to the initial presentation of Chag Matzah, and not just to the fulfillment of Chag Matzah, but to Dode's return on Kippurim. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is because they're coming out of and away from the time of Jacob's troubles, of confinement, which is the exact same word. It's the, the core word that, that defines what Mitzrayim represents, Sarah, is the word that is used for the time of Jacob's trouble. They're coming out of exactly the same process where I was opening the doorway to life, uh, removing the stench and stigma of religious and political and military oppression, uh, this time through the final and last chance of Yom Kippurim, so that he is providing reconciliation and that all those who are waiting for Yahweh will be part of this wonderful family reunion. It's the same thing playing out three times all around the same individual. Now, Moshe delivered the message regarding these uh, three, this, the, the concept of the Moed Mekre, and particularly the first three. So Moshe delivered the message. Dode was the fulfillment. So what we have here is that um, Moshe delivered the children of Israel from the torment of civilization, from being oppressed and worked to death by an authoritarian religious and political regime. And while their lives were spared on Pesach, they were liberated from the controlling influence of religion. Uh, and Egypt during matzah. Next, their preferential circumstance would be short-lived. And that made it evident uh, by the, was made evident by the perfect conjugation. The Israelites had, unfortunately, bonded with their captors and took their preference for false gods with them. So they were not disappointed, unfortunately, call perfect short term because of their uh, their actions <clears throat> in that these are Doge thoughts as he was completing his service as the Pesach AL each word should be understood in the context of Passover the uh, Moed was and remains the doorway through which we can escape the deadly consequence of religious and political corruption on the other side is the promised land. Passover is the portal to a new life, one that is perfect and eternal. Those allowed to pass through it and root to unyeasted bread are never disappointed. Now, well, Dode volunteered. Yahweh allowed for his son's soul to be separated and suffer in our stead. God enabled the process. 
while we do not fully understand the mechanics of how he was able to carry our guilt with him and deposit it in Sheol, not our responsibility to understand that. That's what occurred. And we do not know, need to know how it happened to appreciate why it occurred or even how to benefit from it. You know, I, I uh, fly airplanes. I don't need to know how to, to create the proper metallurgy for the leading edge of a wing to benefit from the fact that that wing will produce lift and I can fly that uh, airplane. So it is, it is common to us to benefit from things that we don't fully understand so long as we understand how to operate them. So since this was written by Dode to describe what he endured on our behalf, let's acknowledge something that is vitally important. By misappropriating the promises and accolades Yahweh afforded him and transferring them to Jesus Christ, Christians do father and son, as well as Yisrael a grave injustice. God is made out to be a liar. We lose sight of Dode's heroics, and we devalue all that Yah sought to accomplish through his beloved son. This psalm exists to explain how, why, when, and by and for whom the Passover sacrifice was made manifest. So let's be clear. This was tremendously painful. Mitzmore Psalm 22 goes on to detail the most torturous elements of Dode's suffering. It was, as we know, at the end of a very long day, and he had been through the pretense of a trial, spit upon, beaten, and whipped by the Romans. Yahweh's spirit, who had been with him since he was eight years old, 1,000 years earlier, no longer protecting him. The body that God's Ruach and his Nefesh had occupied had suffered and bled beyond our comprehension. Inhumanely designed Roman flagella ripped away the soft tissues from his vulnerable back and legs. Then the beast nailed what was left of the lamb to a post and beam to die an excruciating and humiliating death. And this is the last passage I'll read this evening, and we'll, uh, we'll let uh, mm-hmm. Dee speak of this uh, little critter, because she is an expert on the Toah. I am but a crimson grub. Tola'a, a bloodied worm and scarlet pulp. No longer extant or present as a person. Rebuked and taunted, insulted and dishonored by humankind. And disrespected and demeaned by the family. If you are Jewish and this doesn't bring you to tears, shame on you. But I am a crimson grub. That's how bad the body that he was occupying appeared. This notion that there was a bodily resurrection, oh my God, all Dode wanted is get me the hell out of here. It was 
looked like a crimson grub. He was no longer extant or present as a person. All he had was his nephesh soul. And worse, he had been rebuked and taunted, insulted and dishonored. This is the king of kings. This is the son of God. This is the Messiah. This is the chosen one. And he was rebuked, taunted, insulted and dishonored by humankind. And worse, he was disrespected and demeaned by his own family, the Israelites. Bismarck Psalm 22.6. You know a thing or two about this little uh, critter, this crimson grub? I which, do. It <laughs> uh, was really quite a, uh, a, an insight to use that in this description. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was directly correlating um, that Dode is acting as a kinsman redeemer. He was the bloodied worm um, that yeah. took on all of Jacob's stain, the the stain yeah. of the blood. And this this worm, it's a female worm. The males die after mating. They burrow into this oak tree and they lay their eggs inside their own shell. They're a very insular community. <laughs> Now, my, by the they, way, let me deal with let me deal with female for a moment, because sure. people have a tough time. Why would it be? Why would he use female? The ah ending is female. It's right. interesting that throughout this prophecy, when Dode speaks in first person, and there's a first person verb, the first person verb is always first person singular, neuter, either masculine mm-hmm. or feminine. And the reason for that, the only part of Doe that was experiencing this was the nephesh soul. And nephesh is a feminine noun in Hebrew. So he's referring to every bit of this experience from the perspective of his soul. So it's appropriate to have the crimson grub be feminine. Oh, very good. Yes, it is Plus, very this good. is quite a mom and, too. She's uh, she's uh, she's not your ordinary. Uh, uh, it's not the ordinary reproduction process. Not at no. all. Yeah. So after she lays her eggs inside of this shell that she makes for herself, uh, when the babies hatch, they eat their own mother alive, and it is her essence. Just like we eat the Passover lamb. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she stains them. Um, as she's dying, so this red dye occurs through this process. Otherwise, there would be no red on the nymphs. And when they emerge from her shell, the tree appears to weep with blood. It's quite pronounced, actually. And, and this particular nymph is, you know, indigenous to the Sinai Peninsula, and uh, or not Sinai Peninsula, but Sinai area and northern Israel. It was harvested after three days. Um, after the nymphs emerged, the shell would dry out and it would turn white as snow. And if it was not harvested within three days, it would disappear. It would crumble into dust and or be hmm. washed away by the rain or wind. And, and this is a three-day event. Yes, it's a three-day window. You um, have to get there and hand, it has to be hand-selected. It's uh, quite labor-intensive. And the metaphor of Jacob becoming white as snow is literally uh, explained to this mm-hmm. metaphor. What's really disturbing and something you touched on in your chapter was that this dye was used 
um, they had to pound this shell in, a, in like a uh, pestle, a mortar, mm-hmm. and they would release this red stain, and they would dye the Romans uh, would dye their clothes with it. Um, and they were They're infamous famous for, this for it. Color. I mean, the Roman Roman legions are famous for the red <coughs> came from yes. this this crimson growth. Well, you wrote about this in your chapter, but also Easter eggs came from dyeing uh, with cochineal. So they originally stained eggs in honor of this pagan holiday to reference this body of Jesus covered in blood, symbolic of blood. It's a horrifying tradition, and it's actually where we get the term deviled eggs to this day. It comes from this practice in Rome um, and, and really the Middle Ages. Um, so <laughs> the worm has such an intense, it's this tiny little worm, but it means so much. And uh, the metaphors you can obtain from it are, are really in- interesting. Yeah, and this dye uh, was used. Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, the the thing that's also interesting is that uh, Dode's Mismore and Yashaya's prophetic account are hand in glove. They are, um, they, they work together together. Uh, Yashaya is the primary prophet to describe the things that Dode would fulfill. And, uh, and then Dode writes of them in first person. So regarding this worm, this uh, tola'a, uh, when you talk about it being um, prophesied, Yashaya, Isaiah 41.14 uh, reads, You should never be afraid. O worm of Jacob, of Israel, people of Israel, I myself am here to help and support you. Prophetically announces Yahweh, your kinsman redeemer is the set apart one of Israel. Who is the kinsman redeemer? Well, who is the set apart one of Israel? <laughs> Yahweh only yeah. names one person as the set-apart one of Israel. Dode. Dode is the kinsman redeemer. You can't be any more kin than Dode. Yep. My Absolutely. So you, uh, you worm it. Uh, that's the way prophecy actually works, hand in glove, with Yeshua right. explaining precisely what uh what is occurring here anyway uh, we've uh gone uh well past the normal None. end of our program i'm delighted that i had my internet guy here today and we didn't uh we didn't go dark on you uh and you. so i was able to get the whole program in give it a little bonus time since uh i was cut off uh last week thank you for all uh spending this shabbat uh with us i appreciate your uh your contributions as well and we uh, look forward to sharing more from Mismore 22 and honoring Captain Kirk's request here that we uh, we do this. Um, hey, I will tell you that, that was uh, I, just finished, yeah, I just finished a chapter on uh, Mismore 31. And I think that Mismore 31 is the most intellectually stimulating of all the Psalms. It is so brilliantly written. So many profound insights. It's one of those, though, that I'll tell you, this one's reasonably straightforward. Mismore 31, mm-hmm. you, you better have your, 
your dancing shoes on because uh, um, it is brilliantly, yeah, it is brilliantly uh, insightful. But you uh, you have to uh, salah a lot, uh, pause and think about this is what's uh, here. So when we finish this, we'll go into uh, into that one and see what uh, Dode has to say because it it's also on this exact same theme, and it's just repeated through over and over and over again, that uh, Dode is the Pisak Eyal. He is the fulfillment of Chak Matzah. He is the Bakor, firstborn children. And he is the greatest and first beneficiary of Shabua, uh, a soul that is enlightened and enriched and empowered by Yahweh. Uh, and even on Teruah, which is what we are fulfilling, our job is to uh, announce uh, Dode calling his people home and Dode's uh, role and making it possible for them to come home. And the Dode will soon be returning with Yahweh. That is the purpose of Teruah. And Dode is the living embodiment as it comes to the fulfillment of Kaporam. He's coming back on Kaporam, and he's the one that is uh, anointing the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And Dode is the king of Sukkah. Uh, forevermore, being uh, king of Yahweh's restored universe. That's God's story. Um, it's a brilliant one. Uh, we uh, love it. We hope you enjoy it as well and that you choose to be part of Yahweh's family. It is the best choice you could ever possibly make. So with that, uh, happy Shabbat to one and all. Look forward to being with you uh, this time uh, next week, and Shabbat Shalom to one and all. Shabbat Shalom. Night, y'all. You too. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.